because I don't know why I keep it in. I don't know why I did before. I don't know why I didn't, didn't see all the signs of doing anything. And I just kept fighting it and fighting it until it became so costly. My life is completely altered because of it. Take a girl and a guy and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page, Couples Synergy, or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experiences working with thousands of couples for nearly 20 years. You know, everyone says you need to work on a relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of with the partner they fell in love with. In this episode, in honor of Veterans Day and in memory of Jean's cousin, Corporal Patrick O'Reilly, a young Marine who just recently lost his battle with PTSD and depression, we will be interviewing two separate combat vets. And we will be talking about their experience serving in the military and how their experience shaped who they are now and how it affects their relationships. We want to welcome Jim to the podcast. Jim, thank you for joining us on Couple Synergy. Thank you for inviting me. Maybe we can start by you know, you, you telling us when you served in the military, uh, how long you served, and what was your rank? Okay, um, I enlisted in 1984, and I served until 1994 on active duty, and then served another three years on reserve time. And, and I know this means something very different to vets, but uh, it, I guess it's really the only thing that we know how to say and what to say, and that is thank you for your service. Yeah, a lot of people like to say thank you, and, I, and it's interesting because it depends on the individual how they take it. And right now, as you may have interviewed other vets, there's some vets who take that negatively and some who take it positively. And I had a really good conversation with uh, a gentleman last night at the pub, and uh, he had thanked me for my service. And he, go, and he got, then he got nervous because his father was a vet. And he goes, well, wait a second, is that, is that cool? You know? And I said, absolutely. I said, because I know it came from a place of appreciation and from your heart, you know, and that you're thanking me. I said, so I get that you're nervous and a lot of guys take it that when they hear that, they feel like they're being thanked for the horrible atrocities that they did in, in the act of war. Yeah, right. And for me, I've in my life learned to separate that out. I get when somebody comes up, wants to shake my hand, they want to tell me, you know, great. And even in my time when I first discharged and came back and I was uh, at a party with some friends, I actually had somebody call me a baby killer for the first time. Wow. Something I heard somebody call my, my father, you know, right. um, and, and whatnot. And it was really interesting that people still hold that sort of um, animosity. For, for such for a long do. time. For such a long time. Yeah. Well, no, it was just in regards to, you know, the fact that uh, they thought in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, that we, you know, killed a bunch of kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't the case, you know. And how old were you when you enlisted? Uh, I was, uh, well, I enlisted at 17, but actually 18 is when I left. And how, camp. Did, how did yeah. you decide to go into the military? Well, I, I have a lineage of that in my family. 
um, we've, we've all served, the men in my family have served, um, you know, it was jokingly said by a relative, and I can't remember if it was my uncle or, or one of the uh, grandfather, um, but it was something about, we have served since we've been conquered, we fight for them now. Uh, him being Native American, that was sort of his attitude. Oh, okay. So That's was, interesting. Right. Yeah. So, and then, of course, uh, the earlier uh, ancestor, male ancestors, uh, great-grandfathers and whatnot served in the Army, and then one of them flipped and went Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> How did yeah. you decide Marines or Army? Oh, that was an easy one, you know, <laughs> that, that uniform, the, the mythological sort of idea that people have of Marines, you know, that we are the best, that we train to be more than what people think they can do, you know, and you, and you honestly learn that, you yeah. know, as, as you have on the trail. Yeah. You know? uh -huh. yeah absolutely. Right. The eliteness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was. There's, it was to be elite because I had much friends more, who joined the Army. Yeah, there's <laughs> much more uh, camaraderie and uh, connection with the Marines than there is in the, in the Army. Indeed. You know, it's interesting because when I first joined, I didn't really think of the whole fact that it is rather cultish, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and, and as much as while you're in, you're thinking, ah, I hate this, you know, and, you know, I'm never going to be that guy. And here it is many years later since discharge. And, and I hold that, you know, true to my heart yeah. as indicated in, you know, my purchase of T-shirts and, mm -hmm. you know, my my bravado of being, you know, that oorah Marine. So yeah. it permanently changes you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I am definitely a Marine you know, first and foremost. Yeah. And try to conduct myself as such. <laughs> How many times were you in, in a, in a conflict during your service? Um, so active conflict, uh, would be somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, s seven to 10 times. Yeah. Depending on how you look at it. You know, there, there were situations where we were just taking fire and then there were situations where we exchanged. So, yeah. And how old were you at that time? Uh, between 18 and uh, 22 years old. And, you know, how, how has your experience being in the Marines and also, you know, seeing conflict, how has that impacted your life? <laughs> Greatly. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's hard for me to really pinpoint how it has because I'm learning every day how it has, even still now. Well, and, and it, for me, I didn't know until I moved to Illinois. Mm -hmm. You know, so let's go. So I got out in 94, right? So 97, you know, and I didn't know I had any kind of issues until 2001 when I moved here to Illinois. I didn't even use the VA until I moved here to Illinois. What so, happened? Um, so moving was a huge endeavor, costly. Uh, we moved here a month before 9-11 happened. And immediately upon 9-11 happening, um, about a week later, my boss said, well, we're going to be shutting down some offices and you're the new guy. Uh, so, you know, I was downsized. Mm. Right. Um, and then I got another job and with each downsize, so did the pay. Yeah. You know, and then we got to a situation where my um, ex-wife and I were starting to divorce, having the problems. I was drinking heavily. I was um, ignoring what was really happening to me. I was like, there's no way. No, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy who's sad about what he did. I'm not that guy who feels, you know, pain and remorse, you know. And I don't know if that was what I felt. I just knew that I was really confused in the head. And, and still to this day, you know, I still have a lot of, I just don't know what I am, what I want to be, you know, where I belong. That's, that's the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. I have no sense of belonging now. 
since discharging. We've spoken with other vets, and they've consistently have said that that first year coming out um, is is really difficult. Right, it's a very big transition. Um, how come it it took you a while after discharge, you know, to start feeling the effects? Yeah, um, because my first year wasn't bad. In mm. fact, my first few years weren't bad because I was um, able to get a job where I was hired by a Marine. Oh. And, and the entire team of uh, service reps that I worked for, my first job was in the service industry, all of those service reps had been veterans. This guy padded his team with veterans. Wow. That's, that's, that's how he worked. Did you guys you know? talk about anything, or, or did it just bring that, that camaraderie back? It was camaraderie. Mm-hmm. We, we, none of us really talked much about what we had done or seen, you know, um, because of the generational gap, too. There were guys who hadn't seen anything, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, it's just the way it is. And that's what I thought I was supposed to be, right? I'm a Cold War Marine. Right, <laughs> you know, right. How, how was it that I saw combat action, yeah. you know? Um, but we can get to that if we want. But um, I think I just had a buffer for so many years. And then I was able to sort of turn it off. Things were good. I was married. Mm-hmm. I was happy, you know. Um, and then things kind of went sideways, you know, and I ended up in my first divorce. Did, um, did your service impact your marriage? Absolutely. Yeah. My, was my, first, wife was, yeah. my first wife was with me when I was in the service. Um, I think in a lot of cases, when you marry somebody in the service and you're deploying, every time you come home, it's a honeymoon. You've been gone a long time. And even if there's things that need to be said because of the fact that there's another deployment coming up, maybe you don't say them. You put that on a shelf. Absolutely. Because you want it to be happy times, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I think that's what we did for a long time. Um, And then for me, when I finally got out of the service, even though I had this buffer, now I felt like, well, I'm not living. Now I'm just working. I'm supporting a relationship, you know, uh, with a woman who didn't want to start a family. Mm-hmm. So it was like, what's the point of being married if you don't want to start a family? You know, if you're not, if you're not going to go there. And, and because there was a, she was older than me, once she put her foot down, it just wasn't going to happen. We were going to age out, you know, for all intents and purposes. At that time, a lot of people, you know, once you hit 35, 40, you're not going to have a kid. So that's, I think, what happened there. And then, again, the bottle, you know. Mm-hmm. I was... Heavily drinking, well, I heavily drank as a Marine. So <laughs> I don't think that even changed. I think I drank just as hard in the Marine Corps, came out, and just continued that. It, it was, so yeah. you didn't think it was a, a coping skill for you at that time? No. Okay. No, I thought it was just being a Marine, social, right? Right. Yeah, you know, born in Tun Tavern, we drink. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And, and I was always with the boys. And, and when you're on a crew, uh, a, a team at, of employees who, yeah, Let's go have a drink. And they're all veterans mm-hmm. who all drink hard and smoke. And, you know, you're just going to kind of carry that into civilian life. What we did at the NCO club <laughs> just becomes what we do at, you know, John's Pub down on the corner. So, yeah. So possibly being surrounded by the vets, it, it, felt, it felt like you didn't get out. You know, you, you didn't come out of the Marines. Is it because you were now surrounded, you know, with other former, you know, vets as well? Absolutely. In fact, um, because the way the leadership was... He kind of ran us like Marines, you know. Mm-hmm. He told us to do something, we hopped. He was, he was for all intents and purposes, he was the colonel, right? Yeah. And, and senior reps and so on, everybody had a place. And so it felt very much military. got a new MOS. Exactly, yeah. right. Yeah, transferred, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of, it was kind of interesting. And I did that for many years. Uh, and then subsequently uh, managed to keep that job through divorce. 
you know, and, and then took on a second job. You talked about um, the confusion, like you not even knowing for sure what you were going through. I think that's really common. And I think if you think back, was there any signs that you might have been other people could have noticed that would say, hey, are you doing okay? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, getting back, because I know we got off, off track yeah. of your original question, um, things were coming to a head. There were people telling me, hey, you're drinking pretty hard, you know, Come, coming into work and you reek of booze, you know, people let you know. And, and that was happening. But I was disregarding it, you know. I, I was like, oh, yeah, I just had a rough night, you know, or um, just dealing with some stresses, you know, financial or got to get these contracts done, you know, kind of stuff. And I think I just blew them off and none of them pushed yeah people didn't i think know where to go with me and back then i was quick to to fuse and explode you know rage comes quickly to me you know easily having grown up in the environment i did so then you know add marine corps to that and then add someone who's dealing with pain and but doesn't know it and yeah anytime anybody said anything immediately defensive We've heard that from everyone. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, and pushing them away such. Yeah. Pushing them away such. You know, um, several girlfriends after my first divorce tried to, to intervene, and I was just evil. I was really mean to them, and those people won't even talk to me anymore. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting that my first wife will still talk to me. We're still friends. Just sent me some love about the birthday on, on Facebook, you know, and, and even my second wife, you know, we're, we're still very close. But... There was these in-between where I guess I just really didn't care about them much. You know, yeah. they didn't hold anything to me. And how dare you? You, how, you don't even know me. You know, we, we haven't been together that long. And I, I think there was a lot of that there. And, and knowing, I think, inside that something was wrong with me, but I didn't know what it was. You know? Yeah. Did it matter whether you were talking to someone who was a civilian versus someone who was a veteran? You know, whether they understood you or understood what was going on with you? Well, honestly, I don't think any vets really confronted me about what, my behavior and how I was acting. None of the guys that I worked with did. They just gave you a pass? Yeah, that's just him, yeah. You know. hmm. that's how, that, I think that's how it was. Well, they would have had to face their own stuff if they could confront you. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and mm -hmm. certainly we were all kind of like that. You mm -hmm. know, there was always some guy going ballistic in the office, throwing papers in the freaking place, you know. Yeah. Um, and it was never the job. You know, we all knew it wasn't the job. Mm -hmm. I think we all knew just everybody was just lying to themselves. And then none of us wanted to be weak, right? Sure. That's the number one thing that I've run into in my friends. And certainly I think for me, I've become very introspective because of my lifestyle um, making me spend a lot of time alone in a tent somewhere gives me an opportunity to think, which is the worst thing that vets <laughs> want to do. Right. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the number one. That's why we drink. That's why, you know, we use distraction. Mm -hmm. Right. But there comes a point when you're on trail and you're all alone, you're just going to be faced with your demons. Right. Right. And for me, it was something that opened my eyes and made me go, OK, what's wrong with you? What's happening? It why? was you know? specifically the hiking and being out there in solitude that brought that's you to that. Place. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and interestingly, it, I got a little bit of it when I was working in the industry um, on trail, but most of it came on my own personal uh, adventures. Yeah. You know, when I went out there, got out on the, on the trail and just had so much quiet time and you start thinking about it, 
and you're and you're also doing something that's very physically exhausting. Mm-hmm. So I think when you're thinking about stuff and you're exhausting your body, it resolves or at least gets those things flowing in a way that can find a balance. Yeah. And back then when I when I did go backpacking and whatnot, I pushed Marine Corps style. I pushed my mm-hmm. body. Yeah. Twenty two miles in a day. Hard, you know. If it took me eleven hours, I didn't care. You know, if I pulled in the camp and it was two in the morning, I was setting it up with a headlamp, it didn't matter to me. The idea was just to tax my body and break it down as much. It was almost like I was trying to hurt myself back then, mm-hmm. you know, uh, on the trail. Yeah. Like I was using that to just break myself down. We, we've heard other vets talk about mm-hmm. this physical component as um, something that has been very helpful for them. Mm-hmm. You know, that when you are using your body in that way and taxing it, as you said, mm-hmm. it, it almost helps them kind of process a lot of the things that they've gone through. I believe so. And you especially know. if you're passionate about it. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, you meet these vets who are, you know, they push a lot of iron, right? You know, these big buff dudes, mm-hmm. they spend hours in the gym. And yeah, it's a healthy distraction. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just another distraction. Right. You know, you're, you're using your rage and anger and whatever's inside you to push that heavy metal as hard as you can. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what I was doing on the trail. I, I don't do that anymore because I realized, yeah, I am trying to hurt myself. Why am I trying to hurt myself? Mm. You know? I came on this to enjoy this. I wanted to see pristine nature. I wanted to, you know, put my feet in a cold river. But I never did that. I just moved, moved, moved. The only time I took the break was at camp. You know, did you ever answer that question about why are you trying to hurt yourself? Yeah. Yeah. But it came much later and and rather recently. Yeah. Yeah. Within the last few years, uh, I think I did answer that question. I think for me... um, because I was starting to think about my life and where I was at and why was I such a failure in relationships mm-hmm. and why did it seem I couldn't keep friendships either. I don't really have a lot of close friends mm. from my past. All my friends are current friends, so to speak, within you know just a small window of years. I don't have friends that I communicate from high school. I don't have friends even from the military. Not a single guy I served with do I communicate with today. Really? Is that a choice? Okay, yeah. Yeah. The introspective, yes, because I've done nothing about it. I have personally not sought them out. You know, what I looked at, it was like, well, they don't give a fuck about me. They're not seeking me out. But what have I done, right? What have I done to affect that? So, yeah, I think it's, it's my fault. I will take the hit on that. It's an interesting thing how, you know, relationships really form just because of proximity. And when you're in that proximity with people in the military, it's amplified because you're 24 hours a day. Right. Same people going through those experiences. And it does have that huge forging of a bond. Mm -hmm. But then when you're out of that environment, there's nothing to hold it together. And who wants to remember? Right. And and plus in the military people come and go. Mm-hmm. So you try not to attach yourself. That's why we use last names. I yeah. don't want to know what your first name is, man. You, you might be dead next week, Yeah. you know, and you might be transferred. We get too close. You become a best friend and then you got to go. You know, the government controls everything we do. Yeah. So guys get very guarded. And then and, and I've held that beyond. I was guarded even prior to going in the service. I grew up in, in a rather uh, impoverished type of lifestyle and neighborhood. And 
you just sort of were always on guard and you watched who your friends were because you didn't know who was going to kind of flip on you or, or uh, try to better themselves by rolling over on you on something. So now you advance that to military where now these guys you really love that you're side by side fighting with that you're, you're willing to take a bullet or jump on a grenade for. And then they're gone that quick. Yeah. And then they don't even call you back. Mm-hmm. They don't even contact you. So in I, I a don't way, think, you get offended. Yeah, <laughs> right? I, I don't think you're alone in that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that guardedness is something that is pretty consistent, you know, of, of all vets coming out, especially combat vets, would you yeah. say? Absolutely. I mean, you know, those in, in the circles we know, they're guarded. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it's, it's part of the training. Yes. You're not supposed to show anything. You're supposed to keep your shit together. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then some of it, I think, comes with OPSEC training as well. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about what you did, but you're not supposed to talk what, about what you did. Especially for me, it, I'm all pre-internet. I'm all pre-CNN covering everything, pre-Fox, pre-cellular phones that were in your pocket all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, when I served, um, I actually got busted, actually charged with an uh, NJP for having an Instamatic camera that I tried to contraband. Wow. With, with pictures of just the guys. Yeah. So I have no pictures, hardly any. Wow. And what pictures I did have, um, the bulk of them were destroyed in a flood when I first moved here. Mm. So that's painful too, that I can't look back on it. And the names are forgotten. Mm. The, you know, um, and, and you know, when you're serving a 10-year career, you serve with like 50 Joneses, you know, 90 Smiths, you know. <laughs> yeah. The unique names are the only guys you, you even halfway remember. Mm-hmm. And you get it all crisscrossed. Yeah, I don't remember. A, a few, but not. I think where you serve makes a difference, too. I think I was impacted a bit more negatively because I was supposed to have guaranteed West Coast duty, being, being somebody guaranteed. from the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, in contract. Right. And then when I went to schools, I had performed well in schools. And they, they fish you. They're like, hey, you're doing really well we can kind of change your MOS structure and, and put you into something a little different. And that's how I ended up in, in uh, the echelon of, of uh, teams that I did. So that was interesting that by accepting that, I negated any prior contractual obligation that the government had with me. <laughs> and I ended up on the East Coast as far away from my family and friends as I could possibly be. And coming from an impoverished background, you can't just jump on a plane and travel to and meet each other back and forth. Right, right. You know, even now, even now, I haven't seen my mother in three years. Right? Yeah. You know, and, and that's just the way it is. I haven't had a Christmas with my family since I moved here with, with my, my mom, my dad, my sister. They've had four family reunions, and we just, as a family, really couldn't pull the money together to, to all have all of us there. Because for them, most of them get to just drive a few blocks to see each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and for me, I'm halfway across the country. Did, did that grooming of you into that category, whatever that was, did that lead to you then seeing combat? So, so you didn't stay with the job you originally signed up for. Oh, yes. And then they groomed you I to do something else. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the, that definitely, had I not taken that, I probably never would have done anything. I'd have been that Cold War Marine sitting at some base, getting drunk, doing nothing, you know. No, I, I ended up getting into a situation where um, you did things outside of what everybody else was doing. Absolutely. Like a specialty type of team. Spe- yeah, a specialty yeah. team. Absolutely. Right. 
So how long have you been in Illinois now? Um, this will be my 18th year in August. 18th year. Mm-hmm. And you said that once you came to Illinois, that's when things really came to a head for you. Because of the stressors, losing jobs. You know, I lost three jobs in less than four months. High paying jobs. Wow. And, and the final job that I did end up with paid $32,000 a year. That went from $120,000 a year salary to $30,000 a year salary. Because what I learned here in Illinois is nobody leaves. So a lot of people know each other and they hire their friend circle, their family circle, people related in a lot of the companies. Mm-hmm. Even where I work now, there's people who they went to school together, they go to church together, they grew up together. So when you're trying to, to be an outsider here, mm-hmm. and I was very much an outsider when I first came here, I couldn't even figure out which way was east and west if there was no sun because there were no mountains for me to look at. Right. You right. know, the clouds don't form the same. Very so flat e- here in yeah, Illinois. And very easy to get twisted around if you don't know the, the building geography. You know, give me land and a map, I'm good to go. But, you know, throw a bunch of buildings in the way until I know which building is what. I mean, for a long time I was messing up what was, you know, Willis Tower, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sears at the time. Sears at the time, right. And everybody's <laughs> like, how do you not know the Sears time? I just get confused, you know? <laughs> so, you know, at its height, when everything came to a head, you know, what was that like for you? That was traumatic, because the way it came to a head involved the police. Mm-hmm. Um, it was quite, um, quite a horrific situation. It was upon my divorce, and my history was used against me for an order of protection. Mm though there had never been a history or of threat or anything like that. Um, and just so we're clear, the ex has sincerely apologized for that. She was goaded into doing it by the court system. The court system told her she had to do it. They actually tried to threaten her if she didn't do it, which was rather interesting to find out on the back end. So I mm-hmm. just want to clarify that, that there's no animosity there. Mm-hmm. But it was a horrific event between us, and it, I think that was the nail in the coffin that made it irreconcilable. And so at this time, you, yeah. your behaviors and symptoms, everything was just you know, coming out at that time? and Coming to a head. Coming to a head, yeah. Coming to a head, okay. right. You know, and um, it's, pretty, it's pretty disheartening. Excuse me. Have your wife be afraid of you. (laughs) The mother of your children, Mm. the woman you sleep beside every night, somehow says, though it's not what she felt, but says on paper, and then you go to court and you have to defend yourself, that she's afraid of you? That she's afraid you may kill her? Kill my wife? Come on, you know? Yeah. Uh, And only because of my background of having seen combat because now I'm a scary guy. Mm. I have, I have committed the act of war. I've done atrocities that some people agree with and don't agree with or, or evaluate in a certain way. And, and then when they make you feel that way, that's horrific. And that to me made a huge impact. So only, only because it made me fall deeper. Oh my God. I lost job after job after that because I just sunk into this hole. I don't think I was sober ever. Literally getting up in the morning and having a drink. I needed just to get up off the bed. The bottle was right there, you know? 
It was it was just horrible. And then I ended up getting arrested, you know, in a in a stupid situation. She and I were together, and um, somebody tried, almost hit our car, and the kids were in the back, you know, and they were still in rear-facing baby seats, and I'm the passenger, but I'm the one who road raged. And I jump out, and I assault somebody. Hmm. So that was, that was pretty much the push, because even though the court system thought little of it, my charge was... Uh, Dismissed. I was sent to anger management. I was evaluated that all I had to do was watch a two-hour video. Because that's all you need, right? That was interesting. Yeah. That's, that's well. what their court-appointed psychiatrist or, or, or therapist mm -hmm. assessed after talking to me about the situation. And then he goes, all right, I'm going to have you watch this video for a couple of hours, and then I'll, I'll let him I'll know you're, you, know, you don't seem like somebody who's going to go off the the hook again you know mm -hmm. he was so wrong <laughs> he was so wrong uh, and i think maybe i sold him on that right yeah. you know i came in looking professional suit tie you know i still had military haircut mm -hmm. and uh, as you know i still sometimes carry myself very militarily very professional and there are times i use that as a defense mechanism mm -hmm. you know to keep people sort of thinking of me in a certain sure. manner and in a way it's the guardedness exactly right, yeah. right. and I, I think that's what i did to him i think that's what and i sold it well yeah so you know it's interesting i was thinking your perspective of the world changed after seeing combat and being in the military but the world's perspective of you changed also because of what they knew what you've been through and the fact that you you know had seen combat oh absolutely because right? i really had told nobody Mm -hmm. Nobody, and, even and my it family. Wasn't, it wasn't that's really wartime. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, that, that's why I said I really don't, there are people I really don't want to hear this yeah. in my family. I don't want them to know. I don't want them to probe. <laughs> How come? You know, um, because they're judgmental. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have a judgmental family. Mm -hmm. I think you're the only mm -hmm. one out there that's got that. You know, <laughs> and, and then, you know, coming from a, a Marine Corps lineage too, and my dad certainly had issues. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, because he created a lot of my issues before I ever got to the Marine Corps. <laughs> and then uh, certainly it's just, I think there was a way that they carried themselves. I never heard my uncles or grandfather or anybody bitching about their service. You know, they were proud men, proud to serve, proud to kill them commie bastards. You know, but I think a lot of people use that as a defense mechanism, yeah. you know. The, an extreme hatred of your enemy as as the thing, you know? Justification, I mean. Right. Also, yeah. Right. Do you? Only when it's appropriate. Meaning that there were situations where I have and hold no remorse for taking those men's lives. And there are situations where it might have been questionable. Yeah, because right. there's a difference between a bad person mm -hmm. and bad people, a whole group of bad people right. who are actually just doing the same job you're doing. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I, I didn't really want people to know. That was the interesting thing too. I didn't, when I came out, I just wanted people to assume that there was nothing on because mm -hmm. I wasn't supposed to talk about it. We didn't learn till later during, you know, Oliver North scandal and during, you know, um, the drug war things yeah. that we were doing. You know, that, that came later. People didn't understand what we were doing at the time mm -hmm. they, or didn't know what we were doing at the time. So I think as that started to 
to become more public. I was able to speak a little bit to it, but again, you're, when you discharge from the service, and especially in the, the job role I had, I signed some kind of non-disclose agreement um, that holds me to the UCMJ, but it was only for a length of time. I'm sure I'm completely absolved of that unless mm-hmm. I write some tell-all book and use every, every name or whatever. You know? <laughs> but, um, and so I still felt that. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes I still feel a little bit of that. There's a few things that, that I uh, participated in on behalf of our, our uh, country, our government, that I, I'm never going to talk about. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just not going to go there. No one needs to know that. You did, know? did you ever get any support or direction from the VA, you know, upon coming out of the service? Did they provide services, you know, for vets, you know, for the, the this particular reason that we're talking about? When I got out, no. Like I said, I did not actively do anything with the VA until I moved here several years later. But that was by choice? By choice, yes. Okay. Yeah. At that point, I knew that I needed somebody who knew what my issue was. Hmm. Do you mean that on psychologically and physically? Yes. Okay. Yes. Are they helpful? Yes. Yeah. The facility I go to is uh, one of the better facilities for a veteran to go to because mm-hmm. they serve active duty personnel as well. And, and I have learned in researching the VA whether or not to go downtown to Chicago or to go to North Chicago that the decision to go to North Chicago is the much better one. You know, yeah. if, 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 you, if you are dealing in Chicago, make the trip to North Chicago, your service from them will be much better. They will be more understanding. They're more open. Um, it's less scary. You know, when, when I first had to speak about it, my concern was, well, what if they lock me up? What if they put me in some no. kind of held room for evaluation or something? And... When, when I discharged, nobody asked me anything. But I know that the new guys now, they go through some kind of long questionnaire and this whole process, right? Because they're concerned now. The, the government's concerned about their, their troops coming back. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but nobody did that for me. So now I go there, and they ask, that's the first thing they ask you. Well, you know, how do you feel? They get right into your head before even finding out you're there for a runny nose. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a little put, you know, off-putting. Mm-hmm. But once you sort of get beyond that and you realize they are really there to help, at least at this facility, that I think you can do pretty good. And, and, and it can help you. So, it, it has helped me. It has. It has helped me knowing that at least there's a place I can go where even if I don't have a doctor's appointment, mm-hmm. I can just sit there and talk to some old vet and know that he had it worse or maybe I had it worse, but he's empathetic to it and vice versa. So the, And that's kind of really encouraging to hear, right? That yeah. there are services out there for Absolutely. people that might be suffering. But, you know, we're also talking about why you kept it to yourself for so many years. How, how can we help, you know, those out there that are keeping it to themselves? Well, I don't know. Because I don't know why I keep it in. I don't know why I did before. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I didn't, didn't see all the signs of doing anything, and I just kept fighting it and fighting it until it became so costly. I yeah. mean, my life is completely altered because of it. I am not as successful as I should have been. I was there. I had success and lost it. Uh, I'm not as comfortable in relationships anymore. Mm. 
scared, um, unfeeling, mm. shutting off the, the emotions in some cases. Mm-hmm. So keep working at it. It'll come back every day. Yeah. Every day is a process. So you talked yeah. about, you know, the hiking and sort of putting your body through a lot of almost abuse and the drinking. Were you ever consciously thinking about taking your life? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, if I went in my storage unit, I believe I have two letters to my um, most recent ex-wife and my kids. Yeah. Yeah. What, what made you not? My kids. Yeah. Yeah. Glad you're here. So am I. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, because if I hadn't had kids, yeah, I'd have been done for. Yeah. Yeah, but disappointing them, disappointing them was going to be a bad thing for me. I don't, mm-hmm. I couldn't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's such an important thing. You know, obviously, my family's going through that right now. And just the outpouring of people that wanted to help him yeah. after it was too late. And he was all locked up by himself on it. You know, it's such a devastating thing for everyone that cares about you to live with mm-hmm. if you kill yourself. Yeah. Well, it's just a, a powerless feeling, yeah. you know, uh, on the family side. You're the first people I've ever told. I've never talked about that. I've never been asked, <laughs> you know. And, and only because I know you, I think I answered. If, if you were... You were two strangers. I don't think I could be this open. Mm. You know, I don't. I don't think I well, could. We are honored. Yeah, truly. Well, I'm, I'm honored that you asked me, because if it does help somebody, mm-hmm. then it, it's worth it. You know, I don't know why guys feel afraid of it now, because it is becoming more accepted. Mm-hmm. Everybody has PTSD. Everybody, whether you served or not, women are coming out of relationships. With PTSD, kids are growing up in abusive families yeah. with PTSD. I had PTSD before I joined. My father used to beat me horribly. Old school, capital correction, you know? Mm-hmm. And literally, where I couldn't go to school, would beat my mom because she would intervene to keep me alive because my dad would get maniacally out there because he was a vet, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So I think we all have it. So I agree. So now I'm no longer afraid of it. Now, mm-hmm. for me personally, I'm open as much as I can be. If, if I trust the person, it does take a little bit. I got to know that what I say is between us, that, that you're not going to laugh. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to judge. Right. You know, that's, that's the most important thing because if, if someone wants to divulge a deep, dark secret that they feel pain about, you, you can't. It has to be someone that you know isn't going to be afraid of you. See, that's that whole thing I had with my ex-wife. It's like, it never dawned on me that people could possibly be afraid of me, mm-hmm. that I knew in my world. That, that just the sheer fact that they could hold whatever I did in a uniform on behalf of the United States for freedom, for the fact that I'm just a poor kid needed a job because I wasn't going to go to college. You know, I could barely go to high school. So... You do feel this sense of, well, yeah, I wasn't this great kid, but now I'm this great man because I served my country. I did something for the greater good. 
I'm not, I wasn't self-serving. I served someone else. And that's, that's something I still hold today. I live in a community where 90% of the people around me are self-serving individuals. They chose college, no service. They don't volunteer in any manner. They're wealthy. They are entitled. Mm-hmm. They, they just act horribly. In, it's all backwards. Right. Yeah. Right. And then I see sometimes when I come walking into one of those posh coffee shops and I'm wearing the, the colors of, of Marines or even, even the blue line or red line to support law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And they turn their nose and I'm like, this is what guarantees your financial wealth is, is people like us who are willing to sacrifice ourselves both physically Mm-hmm. emotionally and with a direction of, of career path that isn't going to be this golden lined streets and you know whatever I want I can just pay for at the drop of a hat they still struggle yeah. we expect you know marines and, and soldiers to go out and lose their lives for $50,000 a year and law, for, law enforcement and firefighters too Right. 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 Some of them do hit the bigger numbers, but that takes years to get there if you survive. So it's interesting that people who, who make millions of dollars would turn their nose or, or yeah. somehow pass judgment, pass judgment. Cause right. you see it in their eyes. Mm-hmm. We ain't stupid, you know, especially military. We've been reading people forever. Yeah. So when you walk into a room and you see people's eyes, their face, you know what they're thinking, you know what they're feeling. You can tell their politics, so to speak. You know, I just want to go back a little bit to what you said about everyone having PTSD. Mm-hmm. And really what happens in our body is that when we have a physical threat, we dump in all these chemicals, ad- adrenaline and cortisol. And then once the threat is over, we go back to, you know, our parasympathetic <laughs> nervous system and say everything's fine. But when it's emotional, those chemicals just keep pumping because there's not a physical threat and there's no resolution. There's no all clear. There's no I'm safe now. Right. And and that is just the way our brains work. And that's why the physical stuff is helpful. Mm -hmm. The talking through it is helpful. Right. And, you know, I just want to recommend that book again. The body keeps the score. Mm -hmm. And it's all about how our physical body is in PTSD. Where our brain is designed to mm-hmm. seek out threats all the time, yeah. you know, to kind of prepare ourselves. But if you go through something that what you've been through, your brain becomes more hypersensitive. Oh, absolutely. And hyper-focused. Everybody I work with, they're like, you're so hyper-vigilant. Mm-hmm. You see everything. You, yeah. s- you notice everything. You're on guard every time someone looks like they're going to shoplift or steal something. Because you had to be. Right. Yeah. So, and for whatever reason, I almost can never turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. Even at home. You know, every, at home, I'm, I'm hyper alert to any noise, mm-hmm. the, the ticking of the furnace. What is that? You know, immediately I go on guard. That's and, probably and, and why you feel good hiking. Sometimes. <laughs> there are times I've been on trail where I actually feel more afraid, mm. more on guard of everything. Because of the possible unknown. Right. Yeah. Or I'm afraid of what I might do. Mm. A lot of cliffs. Very easy to get lost in the woods. 
very easy to just fall asleep on a cold mountain somewhere. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So passive. Yeah. Yeah. The easy way, right? Not so ugly. Hmm. Yeah. Doesn't even look like. Right. Yeah. So it's. And, and the struggles. Right. Yeah. So sometimes I am worried about that. And for me, I unfortunately had spent so much time on the trail alone. It's hard to get partners. And for me to take someone out, I really got to click with them. And that's my problem. I don't click with people. I don't really have a best friend. I don't mm-hmm. really have a relationship that I'm in now where I feel comfortable that she's going to be participatory in, in my adventures. I don't trust her. You know, the, there is ways to start to heal your brain. Mm-hmm. It's meditation. Not sexy, but that's what it is. And, you know, having gone through basic training and having gone through extensive meditation, I see what it did, mm-hmm. you know, and in basic training, they teach you not to react. Right. You, and, you know, something, something hurts, a bee stings, you, you don't move, you don't react. And in meditation, you force yourself not to move and feel at the same time and you start to process again and that can change the wiring in your brain. Hmm. That would be key because yeah. we're all in the service trying to shut all those emotions off yep. because you can't have them at mm-hmm. the moment. You can't, you can't react to the man next to you falling at that moment right. because you have to a protect yourself, right. protect the others around you and attain the mission objective. Right. So, you learn to shut that off. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us still do that every moment we can. I, I do it sometimes just to get through work. <laughs> and and sure. that's the opposite of what you do in meditation. Uh-huh. You don't run from it. You sit in it. Yeah. yeah. And it resolves. Yeah. It's just not easy or fun to do. And, you know, we can't have empathy or compassion, you know, with, with that turned off. You know, and so that's where the difficult part comes in, in having relationships and being able to, you know, connect at that level because you have to be vulnerable in a relationship. Yeah. Guarded and a healthy relationship doesn't go well together. Right. And I'm getting better. I I definitely feel, but for her and I, we've been together many years now and Mm -hmm. it's taken that time of understanding who we are, who we are separately Mm-hmm. together in our world without us and it work you know because we all have to sort of you're different every time you leave the house with wherever environment you're going to that's the one thing i hate too i never felt like that in the service i didn't have to be something for this environment or be something for that environment i was a marine all the time nobody expected anything different Hurrah, right and a lot of your yeah. decisions were yeah. made for you True, right. I didn't have to do a lot of thinking other than process the order. Mm-hmm. Process the command. What, what am I supposed to do? Okay, this is how I do it. Just no, part of the machine. Don't, yeah, don't question it. Don't, yeah. you know, don't think too much into it. If it sounds quirky, okay, maybe you got to work around. <laughs> you know, yeah. Or, you know, if top, there's top really crazy. <laughs> if, if there's someone who's served that is listening to this right now and struggling what would you say to them? Don't give up because you're not alone. And, and if you have a battle buddy, see, that's the problem that, that I think a lot of us, we don't have battle buddies anymore. Our battle buddy was our best friend on the field. Yeah. 
the guy who checked your gear, you checked his gear, you made sure he had bullets, you got bullets. There's always somebody checking your back and head checking you too, you know? You in the game? You ready? Right? Everything's locked by the numbers. People constantly checking on you for the mission, not necessarily checking on you for your emotions. And I think that's where we're missing now. So if we can all now start thinking that the mission is for us to be healthy and to put those demons in the past, there are several warriors who have gone before us who have managed to get through their entire lives and die peacefully as an old, you know, as an old soul. Yeah. So there's no reason. There's absolutely no reason. And, and I think we're afraid of being seen as something other than we are. So we all, I think, have to find how to get back to who we are supposed to be. And the only way to do that is to open up, to not dwell, and don't be guilty. I don't know why anybody feels guilty for being here. Yes, it's, it's easy to, to have the sympathy and the pain of loss for your battle buddies getting killed. But at the same time, you made it out. That's a lotto. You hit the lotto. You're there to tell the story. It's interesting in a, in a lot of stories and, and movies, the bad guys leave at least one guy to go back and tell everybody yeah. about it, right? And that's you. If you're that guy, then tell the story. Tell people the story. Honor your friends by being okay to speak about it, to tell what great men they were, their quirky, asshole, stupid shit they did, you know? And, and don't dwell on their loss as a pain factor and, and that you should be with them. Mm -hmm. No, you're, you're the storyteller now. You have become the, the shaman, if you will, passing along the, the, the history. So I think that's what I would tell them. Stop and think about what your role is now, is to honor them. Don't dwell on what you feel. Because what you should feel is lucky. I feel lucky. And there it, are people around me who are not here today. There okay. was a lot of you know, comfort in the vets that came to that, you know, my cousin's service. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, if everyone did that, they probably would stop killing themselves. Mm -hmm. go, go watch a family go through that, you know, mm -hmm. and, and honor them. Right. And that was, that was really a big thing for me. Well, I, I think yeah. that's a really huge point, you know, that you brought up, Jim, and just, you know, having a battle buddy, someone that you can, you know, lean on, you know, in times of difficulty, right? Absolutely. And, and sometimes having the people around them know who that battle buddy is. Recently, mm -hmm. I received a text on, a, on a, a friend of mine who needed a little intervention, you know, and it was nice because I hadn't a clue. This guy pulls himself off as somebody who walks the line every day very easily, happy-go-lucky. And to find out that these recent passings, you know, uh, Patrick's uh, passing, passing and another friend of his passing hit him so dramatically that mm -hmm. he felt that he had to join them. We will all join our brothers in Valhalla, but we don't know how to have to put ourselves there. Yeah. Right. You know, we'll, We're all headed we'll there. Get, we'll get there eventually. Yeah. Right? right, the party will happen. Mm -hmm. Right, the, so we don't have to rush it. What we do need to do, though, is remind people of those people who are no longer with us. 
We're going to talk about Corporal Patrick O'Reilly as long as we can toast a drink to his health forever. Absolutely. We will remember him forever. Absolutely. And and that's the one thing that I think all militaries do, but the Marine Corps is notorious for it. Mm -hmm. Remembered forever. They tell us that in boot camp. You may die, but you will never be dead. You are immortal because you are immortal, immortalized in Marine Corps history. You are part of Marine Corps history. Whether never you are, to be forgotten. You know, those guys right now who, uh, just to, to be a bit more uh, current, who fought in Fallujah, you know? Mm-hmm. Those guys, they are, what do you want to say, the new story of, of the atrocities of war. Mm-hmm. how horrific it can be, how experienced we are at it. I think, I think some guys actually may hold a, a little, um, what do you want to say, guilt or fear for having the skill set they have. Uh, I had a, 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 a guy I worked with for a while. Uh, he had that. He, he didn't like that he knew how to, how to uh, kill people you know, with his hands, a knife and all that. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to train with him. I wanted to do a little martial training, you know. Um, I like to keep up with those type of things. And, but he was like, I can't do that. No way. He was very like... He was ashamed I, of I, it. Yeah, he was ashamed right. that, that he had that skill set. Right. And it, I don't know why. I don't know how people uh, get there because he never told me, you know. Yeah. Nor did I ask. Right? I think that's the big problem. We're all waiting for somebody to say something. Right. <laughs> Nobody's talking. Yeah. Where none of us are saying anything. We're all just staring at walls. One of the things that my uncle said when we interviewed him, he's a Vietnam vet, was that if you say, how are you doing? And they say, okay. He said, that means they're not doing okay. Right. Yeah. He's like, they should say great. And mm-hmm. if they're not saying great, they're not okay. Right. Yeah. So thank you, Jim, for joining us today. This has been, it, well, this has been a very tough week you know, for the entire family, but we felt it really important to bring you on and, and maybe we can reach out and help someone out there that might be struggling like Patrick was struggling. Yeah. I hope yeah. so too, because yeah. really the, it makes no sense. You got a second chance. Mm-hmm. You should cling on to it. You know, you don't have to go out there and be some big, thing in the world except in your world be the best husband boyfriend you know family member that you can be remember your friends joke about them you know one of the things that I always remind people is that may fondness bring you peace or or, or not may fond remembrance bring you peace Mm -hmm. you know because we all have that we all remember the the funny things the quirky Mm -hmm. things the the jerky things that, that the people who have passed in our life do. And that's okay to think about that. And it's okay to talk about it. And it's okay to be mad at them for it if, if, the, if there was a situation. Because you, you obviously don't harbor that, that anger all the time, you know? Right. Um, and I think we just all need to just face that. That's where I'm finally at now. I'm finally there where I can go, hey, I can talk to you. Because had you asked me about doing this several years ago, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't want to talk about my feelings. I don't want to emote, you know. Well, we are really thankful that you were able to today. And we are also thankful for knowing you. And we're also thankful for everything that you've done for our freedoms and 
everything. I'm thankful for knowing you as well because you've been a huge factor in how I feel. Knowing you has allowed me to feel safe mm. and, and to speak about things and to know that I'm not being judged harshly. You know, human beings have been sharing their stories for thousands of years to bond and heal and grow. And we hope that by you sharing your story, it's enriched your life and the lives of our listeners. We'll see. For all you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave a review. It really helps us. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, again, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, the Couple's Weekend Intensive, and our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life, synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.